Hello and welcome to Angular Air. This episode is sponsored by Angular Class. If you're looking to learn the latest and greatest in modern web development techniques or you need Angular 2 training, then sign up today at angularclass.com. On today's show, we have panelists Amy Knight. Hello. Patrick J.S. Hey, guys. And today we have a very special guest, Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Joe, I'm really glad you uh, came on today. We're going to be talking about something uh, I know you're really passionate about and I love to hear you talk about, uh, empathy and why it's important in the workplace. So I wanted to uh, start off with you maybe giving us a definition of what empathy is and why you think it's important. Sure. So I think empathy is one of those overused words that gets to be very vague. Uh, we ha certainly have a lot of those kinds of words in the tech industry. But what people can talk about empathy a lot and mean a lot of different things. So it is useful to understand what a, maybe a more clinical definition of empathy is uh, to under, so that people can have a common frame of reference when speaking about empathy. Empathy is the ability to put yourself in, <clears throat> to, in somebody else's shoes, but not just a matter of like their perspective, but actually identifying with the emotion that somebody else is feeling. Right now, that doesn't mean that you have to have ex lived in the same exact situation that somebody else has, or experienced the same situation somebody else is experiencing. But to be able to under to identify what an underlying emotion is that's going on uh, with that person, and then think back to the time that you've had that same emotion, so that you can be for the moment in that same place with that person. It's markedly different from sympathy or from most of the things that we as people do when dealing with other people who. Um, are in some kind of an emotional situation. Now, I'm a developer. I'm like a, almost like a bridge troll. Like I, I just, uh, you put me in front of a computer and I'm going to work for a while and that's, that's all I have to do, right? Like why should I care about uh, the things you're talking about? Right. So it is sort of a funny conundrum. Uh, I think it's very common, and I would assume that research would prove me right, that programming is heavily populated by introverts. It probably attracts introverts more than it attracts extroverts. There's certainly, uh, and, and people do, obviously do not exist, they're not purely an introvert or purely an extrovert, but it's a continuum that people exist on from one realm to another. But I would say it's far more common for programmers to identify as introverts and to say, I like to be either alone or small groups. I don't want to go out and party all night long in a large group and meet a whole bunch of strangers. I like to be, I, I enjoy my time alone when I put on my headphones and I just code. I really enjoy that time. We often call that flow, right? We get into the flow and we enjoy that time. I think a lot of people that are programmers would identify with that and so say, then there's the next extension. Well, if I like being alone, what's the point or what's the need for me to worry so much about empathy? Or if I'm a programmer and I'm just coding at my desk, why do I need to worry about my empathic abilities, being empathetic? The problem with that is this conundrum of uh, being an introvert is that humans are primates and we are hardwired to exist. This is a scientific fact. There's no debate about that. Other than sociopaths, we are hardwired to connect with other people. Now, the amount of time that we need for connection varies from person to person, but we are hardwired that we need to have connection with other people. 
and we suffer emotionally when we don't have that. So it affects our jobs, our lives, everything around us when we're not getting proper connection. Addiction is completely driven by a lack of, com of connection. Addiction is not a disease that has anything to do with um, the substance. It's how people deal with connection. That's, what, that's where addiction comes from. So, and, and really many negative behaviors come from that. So we need to connect with other people and we need to admit that in our lives and accept that about ourselves that we have to connect with other people. And in order to connect with other people, to have healthy connections with other people, to have healthy relationships, it needs to be a two-way street, right? We can't just look for the people that are going to give us what we need emotionally without giving something back emotionally. For, one re for a big reason is, is that we actually have the emotional need to give back as well. We can't simply consume other people. That is also, again, another unhealthy behavior that will drive us to further unhealthy behaviors. So I'm sure everybody can identify a time when they've gotten really angry, really upset. Having a connection with another person, being able to talk that through is always helpful. But the problem with that is uh, if the other person doesn't know how to empathize, we get a very shallow, very poor form of connection. And with that poor form of connection comes very little benefit from it, right? Here's, a, here's a, an interesting example of that. If I were to go and say, I'm really upset at my boss. He's a big, huge jerk. And whoever I'm talking to is to say back to me, you're absolutely right. That guy's a big, huge jerk. Well, that person hasn't necessarily, hasn't connected to me and with what I'm going, going through, right? They've just taken what I'm talking about and, and gone off on their own. Or what is far more common is for us to say, oh, I'm really having a problem with my boss and for somebody to say, oh my gosh, I you know what you mean. My boss is an absolute jerk. And all of a sudden they've turned the conversation from the person who was talking and wants to be heard to the other person. Now they're talking and trying to be heard. And then we have these conversations and it's kind of funny and eye-opening, but the minute you start to see these sorts of patterns, you'll see them all the time in conversations that you have where I talk, now you talk, and I talk, and now you talk, and neither person listens. And so many of our conversations are like that. And we always think that, oh, it's, it's work, right? I don't need to worry about touchy-feely stuff at work. But work is a long, stressful activity for most programmers, and we probably spend more time at work than we spend outside of work, conscious at least, right? We put in a lot of extra hours. We have uh, a lot of stressful situations that come up with work, crappy bosses, death marches, all those sorts of things. We get in emotional situations at work. Some of the most emotional situations I've ever had in my life have been at work, getting pissed off at a project manager, doing the wrong thing, whatever. We will have emotional situations at work, and we have to be able to deal with those. Otherwise, work suffers, our companies suffer, our careers suffer. I mean, think about some of the worst coworkers you've had. They've probably been people that didn't deal well with their emotions, right? Uh, a significant percentage of them would be people that didn't deal with that well with their emotions. And if you look at the other crappy workers, you, you don't feel like, oh, they're the ones who didn't deal with their emotions. It was something else. If you kind of look under the level, you'll probably find it's the same thing. They're not dealing well with their emotions. So, um, so you touched a ton of ton of stuff there, and I think one one of the most interesting ones was uh, the first thing that you touched on, and that is uh, on product. Right, and I think it's worth noting that, like, when when programmers like they they program something, they build something, they're building something for someone else. Like, there's no reason to like, what's the point of building something without building it for someone else? Because if you if the other person, like, if you can't empathize with that person, then 
you won't build the product that they want, in, in which case they won't use your product, right? So, right. like, one of the most common, like, phrases in, the, in, say, like, the Silicon Valley is, like, reach out to your customers, go to your customers, and meet them. Because it's, it's always surprising <coughs> when you, like, sit down with your customer and then they walk through your product, you could instantly tell, like, all the problems that they're running into and everything because you could empathize with that. And, like, that's, like, one of the most, you know, interesting things that a lot of us, like, forget is that... Um, at the end of the day, it's the product that we're building is for someone else, right? Patrick, uh, didn't you read the Steve Jobs book? The customer doesn't know anything. You just gotta yeah. <laughs> come up with something <laughs> in your mind. And... Well, that that's where like Steve, that's like uh, about design and everything. Um, I think even Kyle Loren is really empathetic. He's not really empathetic uh, with his coworkers. <laughs> 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 Quite true. Quite true. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole there's a whole thing about organizational empathy, right? The ability to see things from the customer's perspective, which that by itself is an entire field of how to get into and understand the customer. I think it's I believe it's Amazon, but it might be a different company that they had this they either had or still have this corporate policy where when they have planning meetings or they leave an empty chair and the empty chair is supposed to represent the customer, right? And that's supposed to be a very conscious thing. Oh, there's this empty chair, and that's the customer. So people can start to think of what it's like for the customer. That's That sort of empathy is actually great because it's a very shallow, but not in a negative sense, but a very easy type of empathy, right? I'm in a very disconnected state generally. Sometimes we get really attached to our products, and it's like, I don't care what the customer wants. I'm going to build it the way I want to build it, maybe because it's fun. Right, or maybe because you really feel like this is the way that it should, and we have a hard time stepping out of ourselves. If you don't really understand, like I built it, so I know it inside and out. If I don't understand it, it's hard for me to empathize with what it's like for people to get on. But it's that tends to be easier to get through that process of what's it like for somebody that's new? What's it like for somebody that just had a bug, right? Or is constantly getting an error, right? What's that like and to step out of your shoes and see that from their perspective? It's it's a great sort of introductory or uh, easy form of empathy, and it's a great way to practice empathy, is just thinking through things from the customer's perspective, because then it can lead you into the ability to do things better in a harder, more intense situations, like with coworkers and bosses and, uh, you know, direct personal relationships. So for that type of thing, and actually even empathy with your coworker, do you think one good strategy, I mean, there's a lot of stuff here, right? But do you think that it helps the idea of switching roles, like or being in the role of either whether it's be the customer or your coworker? So uh, the thing I was specifically thinking about was uh, when companies like dog food their own product and they are the customer themselves, right? And on the flip side, when you're talking about empathy with your coworker, um, does it help for people to like switch roles? Like, okay, this person isn't pigeonholed into doing this one thing. Sometimes you have to get into their shoes and do like exactly what they do, and, and maybe you, you gain some. Um, everybody kind of bonds a little more. Do you think that type of thing helps? Oh, absolutely. Like the first step to empathy is always to stop, forget about what you're feeling, what you think about what the other person is saying, right? And to instead just try to listen to the other person and what they're saying and through that be able to step into their shoes, see the world from their eyes. That, that is always step one. And well, it actually is kind of step two because step one is to shut up. <laughs> Which is surprising how often we're talking when our mouth is closed. So think about this for example. I, I talked about this in my talk at Angular Connect, but how many times have you been in a situation where somebody's maybe talking about 
maybe you're doing design, some interactive product design, talking about feature requirements or something. Somebody else is talking about an idea they have for a feature, and you, in your mind, suddenly an idea comes up for either a derivative of their idea or some new idea. You immediately stop listening to whatever the heck it is that they're saying, and in your mind, you're reminding yourself of your, the points that you want to make. Uh, you're thinking through the thing that you want to do, and all you're doing is waiting for that lull so that you can jump in and start talking, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, so many conversations happen that way. We spend so much of our time listening by not listening. We're in our head. We have no idea what the other person is saying. Or how many times have you been in a discussion with somebody else where you have a different point of view about something, and they talk about 10 points, and maybe the fifth point is something that you absolutely disagree with and you think is wrong. When they're done, you talk about the thing that they did wrong, the, the thing that, you, that they did that was wrong or whatever they said that was wrong. You hone in on the one problem out of 10 things that they've said, nine of them are right, you hone in on the one problem. All that you're doing is listening for mistakes, listening for problems, listening for errors so that you can jump in and attack the one error, right? How many times, we do that all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also agree that the people who are able to listen well, like you usually remember them. I, I know I have a sister-in-law who is like really, really good at it, like amazingly good. And just uh, my wife and I always love talking to her, like because we know that whenever we do, like she makes us feel good about ourselves because she's always listening and giving us good feedback and not trying to, you know, talk like that or whatever. So, you, know, what are some tips of like how the rest of us, like people who aren't naturally, I guess, good at it, like how can we do that? Well, I think the first thing to talk about in the case of that is. <clears throat> this is an entirely learned skill. There's nothing innate. We weren't born with the ability to listen or not listen, right? It's entirely a grown, built skill. So long as you practice it, you will improve at it. There's no innateness to listening because it is absolutely a practiced skill. So it's just a matter of making it a priority in your life and practicing it and then you get better and better at it. And I can speak from personal experience because I was a terrible listener and I would still call myself a bad listener but I've certainly seen a drastic improvement in my own life and my ability to listen just because I spend, I'm getting more and more in a habit and it really has to do with habits. The minute I hear somebody getting emotional, especially if it's directed at me, I'm now getting into the habit of not getting defensive but instead just stopping and then at trying to dig down, all right, what's going on? Why are you upset? What's upsetting you? Is it really what, what this is or is this reminding you of some other situation that's really upsetting? Which is, again, a, a super common thing. So it's a, I think it's always just a matter of practice. There's nothing innate about it. There, you should never consider yourself to be a good listener or a bad listener. It's simply a learned practice skill. Kind of have a question I want to jump in here with. Um, so I'm kind of coming to this field newer, and I've really, really, really noticed that um, this field, people are, uh, like they're saying, they have very strongly held opinions. Um, so what do you think it is about this field that makes people, I would say along with that, they're like slightly less empathetic, slightly less open. Um, what do you think it is about this field that that happens a little more often? I think that's dumb. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, Amy, do you feel like uh, it was 
quite a bit different in the uh, professional skating world? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's more... I can't really put my finger on it, but Mm. people are definitely maybe a little bit more outspoken when they disagree with you. Mm -hmm. So I... In in the programming world. Yeah, like I maybe equate that to being less empathetic. Hmm. So maybe it's that it is. I I hate to like bring up female male thing. Maybe it's because it's like male dominated. I've heard that um, someone mentioned that too. That there's a lot of like men and they want to exert their dominance. So I don't know. I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't think that's an unreasonable <laughs> estimation. I've never, I've, you know, I haven't spent significant time in any other careers, so I wouldn't necessarily have any basis or comparison for comparison uh i think it'd be interesting to speculate on why it is uh but maybe again it might come down to the fact that we have a programmers a lot of us are introverts so maybe we spend a lot spend less time socializing maybe there's we're dealing with a lot of organizational pressure i mean programmers are constantly dictated to by bosses and product managers right and so that can build up and turn into all right I've already been dictated to my, by my boss and by the product owner with the features. I'm not going to be dictated to by another developer. I'm tired of it. I've I've had my fill. Man, there could be a, a million reasons. I, I think we could spend an entire episode just speculating on why it is that people are uh, in this field highly um, less prone to listen, right? Or why it is that we don't listen, even if it is more or less prone than another field. Why it is yeah. that we don't listen? Kind of stepping back as we're talking through this too, I know like I've had the conversation with my husband a few times and like he's in a very male dominated field and um, he doesn't necessarily pick up on it. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious. Well, we might also be completely um, uh, obtuse and not not even notice that it, it is that way just because it's always been that way. We don't realize that it's unusual or specifically that way. You know, you with your fresh eyes coming from another career path, you might see, be able to see in a light that a lot of people don't see. I mean, I think it might be a combination of things. The the male-dominated thing, you know, be, being that developers are pretty well-paid, so sort of privileged mindset a little bit, maybe. Uh, also, maybe a little bit because of a lot of different cultures that I, I, I've noticed, actually, with some of the... Um, different communities that I work with that sometimes there's things lost in translation that when you are dealing with people from all over the world, sometimes just like little subtle things don't translate and then like if if people aren't open, uh, like don't actively try to be empathetic, then it could turn into a situation where they can be offended more easily than not. Oh, I think... I, I like what you said about culture. It reminds me of a job that I worked at where uh, we had two, we had three teams, one in Utah where I was at, a team on the east coast of New Jersey, and then we had a team out in Bangladesh, was it Bangladesh? Uh, just the, the company north of India, the country north of India. Um, Pakistan? Not Pakistan. Um, it was a small, I'm pretty sure it was Bangladesh. Anyway. Sri Lanka? Um, what's that? Sri Lanka? No, it wasn't Sri Lanka. Pretty sure it was Bangladesh. But anyway, it was so funny because I had to deal a lot with the remote teams. And the the New Jersey people were a lot more experienced in general uh, than the people in Bangladesh. And they had a lot more skills. But their culture was such that when we worked with the people in Bangladesh, 
we ended up producing much better stuff from them because they're far more likely to listen, accept corrections, and do like get the product done the way that it was meant to be done. The people in New Jersey were far more likely to think that what we were talking about, we didn't know what we were talking about, and do things their own way. And there was just a ton more personality conflicts, too. So I saw a very interesting cultural thing between East Coasters and, uh, you know, the, this particular uh, area of Asia. It was kind of interesting. Okay, so next question. What about, do you have advice when working with juniors? Because I'm sure, um, even for me, if I'm working with someone super, super, super new, I can get slightly frustrated. And I know I've been on the other end where um, I ask a lot of questions and sometimes even uh, I'm of the type where I ask a ton of questions and I know uh, I sense that people have thought that that's rude sometimes because my questions might come across as I'm questioning their decisions. So I kind of try to like preface my questions with, you know, I'm only asking this because I want to understand, but do you have advice for people in that situation, like if you are the senior? Absolutely. Uh, actually, I have, I think I, I think there's a lot of advice to be applied to both ends of the spectrum, right? It's, it's start, start from, starting just from the junior's perspective. Let's say you're a junior level developer and you're talking to somebody and you're asking questions and you come back and you ask questions and you're starting to get the feel that they're getting annoyed, right? They're getting frustrated with your constant questions we typically, our standard to res response to that is one of two things. We either attack or we back off and we hide, right? Oh, I'm, I, I hate the way that they make me feel. I'm going to stop going to that person, right? Well, the right answer, the empathetic answer is to stop yourself from doing either action from reacting and instead to say, all right, this person's having some emotional response, this annoyance that I'm feeling what's going on there, and then instead of just trying to figure it out yourself and then make a decision on how you're going to act based on that, but to ask them, say, I feel like you're getting really annoyed with me. It seems like you're getting really annoyed with my questions. Is that true? And now you've put it back on the other person, right? They have the choice to either be honest with you and say, well, yeah, I am, or to make up, oh, no, no, I'm just, I'm frustrated about something else. And the reality is that might actually be the truth. Maybe they are frustrated with something else, and you are the cat, the, the straw that's breaking the camel's back. But you can continue to push the issue, not in a bad way, but just continue to dig in that and start, if you get interested in them and their, where they're at right now emotionally, what they're doing, most people respond to that very positively if you start saying, something like identifying, just identifying with the, their, their feelings. Like, I can understand how it would be frustrating for somebody to constantly come and ask. You know, I've certainly been in a situation with, you know, a sibling or whatever, or maybe in my classes where I had this person constantly coming with me, and I felt like they were eating up too much of my time. And then it lets the other person, it gives them permission to open up and say, yeah, I am kind of feeling like that. And what will happen, hopefully, is that the, you'll actually get a connection there. They're going to feel empathized with and they'll be able to open up. It won't necessarily make the problem go away, but now you can deal with it in an emotionally honest way so that instead of you trying to work around their uncomfortability or their annoyance and try to figure out how do I manage them, which in, when it comes right down to it is just manipulation. You're just trying to manipulate them. Instead, you can ask them, how can I 
get what I need, which is questions answered, but still meet your needs, which is getting your work done. Should I ask less questions? Should I batch them up? Let's let's talk for a minute and figure out what's the best way for us to handle the situation. So now you've taken something that was hiding under the covers and going to occasionally burst up with you know outrage, right? I don't have time for you right now. Like you know those sorts of outbursts that just make you go back and cower at your desk and maybe head off to the bathroom and cry, <laughs> right? Um, from goes from those situations to hey, I could tell you're really frustrated. Should I come back in another time, or you know what's going on? I can understand why you're being frustrated, and then they start talking through that sort of situation. Those are the kinds of things that uh, improve the em true empathy. And you know, you kind of started this off from uh, what does the senior level person do? But it's really the power is in the person who's being annoying. In, in this sense, right? The person who's causing the emotion, your power is there because the minute you are causing an emotional response in somebody else and you start identifying with that emotional response, step into their shoes and accurately identify what's going on. And, and that's where it comes down to also you need to like ask questions. Are you feeling this way, right? Am I making you feel this way? And then when they say yes, then you even start digging a little bit deeper. Why, why is it that uh, this is so annoying, annoying to you, right? Like I understand what it's like. Uh, well, how come this is so annoying to you? Is the, are you having a bad day or is, is you under a lot of pressure with your project, whatever? And you start digging down into what's going on and then you make this real connection with the other person and then you can have a, and that connection is what helps. Uh, there's this great video by Brene Brown where she talks about the fact that nothing that we say is ever going to make something better. It's the connection with the other person that makes things better. And so you're never going to look at a problem the other person is having and then come up with the right words that's going to fix the problem. Instead, if you connect with the other person, which has to do with listening, understanding their viewpoint, giving back where they're at to them, saying, you're, you're probably feeling like this. I can understand what that's like. And letting them feel heard, that connection is going to make the problem better. It may not, may not fix it, but it'll make it better. It's funny. I think a lot of what you're saying, Joe, applies to stuff outside work as well, you know, you know, all your relationships, including, you know, if you're married. And uh, I know that uh, for myself, I, I've definitely been in the situation of like, you know, on both sides, you know, both with me and, and my wife, uh, where there's anger, but it's something else, you know, it's not them, but that you have to like recognize that and like not get pulled in. Uh, you know, the other thing that was interesting is, um, you know, a lot of times with my wife, which I think applies to uh, work relationships as well is that sometimes you know, people aren't looking for you to solve the question or like they just you know want to to spout off if they're angry this is that they just want to like vent or whatever and you know instead of being you know having to fight against it if you can just be on their side and kind of helping them out uh, sometimes that's all they need yeah, absolutely. Like, this is, again, bringing it back into work, this is a common situation, but how often have you, like, banged your head against some kind of a technical problem for hours and hours and hours, and it's frustrating the heck out of you, and you go to somebody else, and you start explaining the situation, and the first thing they do is make some suggestion, right? And you're like, oh, thank you for spending two minutes on a problem I've been spending five minutes on, and then assuming you have the answer, Right? How annoying and how frustrating is that to have somebody say, oh, let me tell you what your problem is. I've been, I've been thinking about this for 30 seconds and now I know what the answer is, right? We shouldn't be doing that. Instead, yep. if we just sit there and listen how you're having this problem, okay. And in a, in a technical sense, it's actually really good, right? It's the, 
is the duck conversation. I can't remember if there's a phrase for this or a term for this, but you, you have the duck, the, yeah, rubber duck debugging, right? Uh, you talk to the rubber duck, you explain the situation, right? And it's, it's always better, better to talk to a real person because then they're going to ask for some, you know, clarity and inconsistencies. But when we talk through a technical problem, we might solve the technical problem just by talking it through. When we talk through an emotional problem, we often don't necessarily think of what the solution is, but instead getting it out and feeling like the other person is listening helps solve that emotional problem. So uh, that that's one of those things that it's hard not to do, to just jump in and start giving off suggestions and try to solve their problem. And, but it's very natural, right? As people, we want other people around us to be happy. We care about other people, right? Uh, generally with our workers, what we don't want is for our workers or coworkers to f be upset. So when they are upset, the first thing that comes to our mind naturally is how can I fix that problem so they're not upset? But we have to realize we can't do that. We can't just make a problem between a coworker and their boss go away, right? We can't say the right thing that's going to fix those emotions. Emotions aren't cured by some cerebral analysis. Emotions are cured through... Emotional problems are cured through connection and time and proper healthy perspective, right? Not letting things fester. So this idea that we're going to listen to somebody's problems and then fix them by what we say is completely fallacious and something that we people need to get out of their minds that and instead just listen and just identify with what they're going through and try to be with them in that situation, right? Don't turn it to you. Don't turn it to a situation. Don't try to put a silver lining on it. Uh, that's another common thing people do is, well, at least. It, true empathy never starts with the phrase, at least. Never, ever, ever. It's always about, I understand that you're feeling this way. That could be hard. That sounds really tough. Maybe the only response that you have is, I don't know what to say, but thank you for trusting me enough to share it with me. Right? Whatever it is, if you can let the person know that you're listening, and reflective listening obviously is the key there. Don't just say, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one of the worst responses. Say, oh, that really sucks. Why is it that you think this? You know, just talking to the person about it. How is that making you feel? What, why is it that this is bothering you so much, right? And then they can start talking about, well, for the last six months, my boss has been doing this over and over again. It's not just an isolated incident. Or my last job, I had a boss who did this. Or if they remind me of my, my mom, who was a complete controlling person, right? Very controlling. Whatever it is, just getting down to letting them talk. So I did have one other kind of, I should have clarified part of my question, I guess. Um, there was this girl, I think it was maybe Saturday night, who tweeted, Something to the effect of uh, she's a graduate from a boot camp and she had just learned like what a for loop was six months ago and for people to calm down that she had just learned that and if you just give her time, she would learn the rest. And I know being junior, this is something else that I have like often felt. Um, if nothing else, like the nonverbal, the looks you get if you ask a question. Like I know uh, personally for me, I deal with like a lot of networking and maybe some DevOps stuff at work. And this is something that totally foreign to me because they did not cover this in boot camp. And so occasionally it's only natural, you know, you'll ask a question and you'll get a look like, why don't you know that? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, you just give me five minutes to go Google this. I will, you know, get a baseline. But do you think people should just kind of like swallow their emotions and shrug it off? Or do you think 
part of it on the other end too to be a little bit more empathetic about it. Uh, there are so many unhealthy aspects in a relation in a you know an interaction like that. Like how you, we could only ultimately take response true responsibility for ourselves and our own emotional health, right? And the better that gets, we will it's it's gonna pull everybody around us up. The healthier that you are with how you deal with people, the easier it will be for them to be healthy with how they deal with you and it will make life healthy on you, right? But so you should never just swallow an emotion and shrug it off because that doesn't exist, right? If you're constantly getting fed up with somebody saying things that, and, and it's bothering you, never feel like I just got to tough it, man up and, and live through it because it's, it's like a, you know, a ball that can only hold so much pressure. It's going to blow out. Maybe it'll blow out the other end and it'll blow out at home or at the bar, right? It's going to blow out somewhere else. You have to deal with your own emotions. So if the person you're dealing with, are they the kind of person you can open up to and be honest with without being um, putting yourself into a situation, a bad, uncomfortable situation? But can you say, you know, when, when you make a face like that, it really makes me feel like you don't care about what's going on and you'd rather I just go away and you just have zero regard for me. And now you've put the ball back into their court. You want to, you always want to say something like this in a very honest way, and always talk about not what they're doing, but instead how what how you feel, right? And a feeling is never, I feel like you're an asshole. <laughs> That's not a feeling, right? Just because you preface preface this with I feel like, but instead to say when you do this, it makes me feel this way, right? And to let them understand, hey, something that you're doing is bothering me. They can, or, they may or may not respond to that. They may, they may say, well, that's tough. You just have to deal with it. In which case, you now know they're not going to respond to your request for a, a needs, right? They're not going to meet your requests. So at least you have that out there. And now you know that they're not necessarily safe to talk to about issues like this. But they might be able to say, well, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize. Well, or they might say, I'm sorry. I'm dealing with something else, and it's coming out at you. And then... Now, you're, it's your opportunity, really, what it is that you're dealing with, right? And now you get back to another opportunity for healthy connection. And those, you know, those relationships that get strengthened are a lot easier to deal with. I'm sure that we've all had experiences where we've gotten a, a friend at work that was really close to us. And it was so much easier to work through the problems with that friend than it was with the people that we felt like were unapproachable, right? And the difference between somebody that's a close friend and somebody that's unapproachable is mostly just how we feel about them, right? Definitely. Um, really quick, I just want to mention, uh, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, if you do have questions for Joe and you're listening, you can tweet uh, with the hashtag NGAir, uh, hashtag NGAir, and we'll ask it near the end of the show. Um, Joe, kind of you know, switching focus a little bit, um, I want to talk about some sticky situations that uh, I, I've been in the past. I know people sometimes get in. And uh, a lot of it centers around when I was managing in a um, sort of semi-toxic environment. And like I was trying my best to you know, be empathetic to kind of do the right thing. But sometimes it's tough. So like, you know, a couple things that I ran into that I'd be interested in hearing your feedback on. You know, one was where you have two people in your team who are um, not getting along for whatever reason, and 
you're trying to see both sides, like you're know, trying to empathize with both of them, help both of them, but they're just completely at odds, and uh, it gets to be tough uh, trying to be empathetic for both at the same time because they're in opposition. How, how can you effectively do that? How can you manage two people that essentially just don't get along? Right. Um, that's a great situation. I'm, you know, again, a very common one, especially for people in management, because coworkers they get at odds so so often, and then we get into the situation where I don't care about the other person; they can go screw themselves, right? That's how we we think that so like, to ourselves, and we're never uh, likely never going to step outside of that and say give that person any true regard or care, and so now it's causing a major problem at work and. And I've seen that situation plenty of times. So obviously, the first thing to do as a manager is to, again, empathize with it. Let them know that you understand what it's like to be in a situation where you're at odds with somebody and it doesn't seem like that person is ever going to change, right? And so that will help them. It is also important as a manager, and this really applies to any situation, is to be clear about what the things you can and cannot do, right? For example, if it's an employee, it's, it's okay to be clear and say, hey, if the situation doesn't get worked out, you know, something might have to change. The company might have to let one person go. Uh, it could be either of you. Or the company might have to move you on a different project, right? It's, it's okay to, be, to, to lay out those boundaries and say, we can only do so much, but at a certain point, something, you know, bad has to happen. And you never lay it out as an ultimatum, but just to say, you know, this is an important situation. It's something that we have to deal with, right? And then the best that you can do after empathizing with the other person and letting them understand and feel heard is to talk through, you know, your typical conflict resolution type stuff. First off, can they, can, can you help them to learn to empathize with the other person and see where the other person is coming from? Uh, but there's not necessarily, there really isn't an easy answer to that type of a solution. But the more that you are able to empathize with and they feel heard, the easier time they're going to have dealing with the problem. Because if they, at least they feel like, when I have this problem, I've got a manager who will hear me. And as, and as a manager, this type of empathy is, corporate empathy is super, super, super important. Because the minute your employees feel like they can't be heard, they will stop being honest with you and they will leave at a moment's notice when they find the right time to leave. They'll do ne very negative behaviors. They'll subvert you. They'll work around you. But the moment, but once you establish that sort of trust and say, I'm make yourself safe for them, no matter what you come to me with, no matter what you tell me, I won't judge your actions. I won't tell you you're right or wrong. I'll just listen. And if you want advice, I'll give it to you. Right. And when it comes to like, Oh, you know, we have a situation here that has to be handled. I'll give it to you straightforward. But the minute that they feel that you're unsafe as a manager, they're going to be working around your back, they're going to be hiding things from you, and they're likely to quit at a moment's notice. And if that's the only difference between them quitting or not is feeling heard, which is very common, that can, you know, you're costing your company a ton of money in retraining and locating costs to replace key people because they don't feel heard. What about situation where you are not able to be open and honest. Because I, I agree with you, you're saying the premise that you know, you, by creating clarity, making sure that they can be heard, um, it, that resolves most situations. But sometimes, uh, especially in large organizations, there's kind of almost handcuffs on managers that like, okay, you can't, 
HR almost trains you in different respects, I guess. One is that, you know, HR doesn't want you to say certain things in case there's, like, a legal issue later on. Uh, the other aspect is if there's some uh, goals of the company that they don't want you to share with your team that is the reason for certain actions, and so there's only a certain limit to which you can actually tell other people what's going on, and that frustrates them. And you try to listen to what they're saying, but you can't be honest for one reason or another. Um, so is there any type of the thing or uh, approach that you've seen that kind of help with those situations? Well, there's definitely a difference between honesty and telling something, somebody things that they either can't know for one reason or another corporate or they shouldn't know, right? Honesty is about the things that you say being true. And uh, emotional honesty is about getting saying exactly how you feel and getting the other person to say exactly how they feel so that you can understand what the true emotion is because most times when people start talking about a problem that they have and I'm frustrated, well underneath that frustration is something else. And this is kind of the cheat sheet, but if you dig down to any real problem, there's one of two emotions underneath it, pain or fear. Pain or fear is always underneath every negative behavior, right? And getting down to where is that pain coming from or what are you afraid of and oftentimes it's both, right? Pain usually comes from similar situations that remind them of it. And then fear comes from, oh, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid I'm never going to get out of the situation. I'm afraid that I'm constantly going to be arguing with this other person. So that sort of honesty is entirely different. You can absolutely be completely honest with the person when your hands are tied from an HR perspective, right? You can't say things, you know, certain things you can't say, certain truths about the project you can't reveal. Those things don't ha can will never stop you from being honest uh, on an emotional basis with another person and say being able to say like I can't imagine if your HR department ever did come to you and say hey never say that you understand, never say the words I understand. If that happened, I think maybe you're probably in a really bad organization and maybe it's time for you to think about right your own switch because if that's what types of thing your company is telling you to do, I, I just can't imagine that situation. But to be able to say, man, I understand you're in a frustrating situation. It really sucks to be there. I, I'm, I'm grateful that you've told me that. Just, just that little tiny bit by itself could be a huge help. Um, so maybe I'm not answering well enough the question about what to do with your hands tied, but I think it kind of comes back to forget about that stuff and just focus on letting that person have one safe place to go to, uh, to talk and be heard, and forgetting judgment. Uh, yeah, one thing that, I, I think that's a valid uh, way to think. One thing that Jurgen Vandemore just tweeted uh, that ties into this that I'll bring in right now is he was asking, do you think there are situations where you should limit being empathetic to be able to still objectively evaluate someone's work. Like, you know, when you're a manager, you're not supposed to be friends with everyone. You're their boss. Right. Um, so in some ways, like, I, I agree, you know, trying to feel what, or understand what their feelings, but uh, you do have to keep kind of a, a stick, or, you know, uh, some distance from your employees. Right. So that gets into, like, this shadow form of empathy, which we call it friendship, but really what it is is this, it's called codependence. And codependence is the need to manipulate other people such that you cannot be happy if they're not happy, right? And we choose, we, we tend to pick and choose our people, but it, it's all very often with our friends and those that are closest to us. If they're in pain, we can't be happy, so we have to somehow manipulate them, and that's where this desire to fix things comes from. 
right? Uh, oh my gosh, I've got this, in this example, I'm a manager, I've got a coworker or a, an employee who's I really, really, really like and they're in a problem. I've got to go and make them happy, otherwise I can't be happy. But the truth of it is, that's a very negative type of behavior. It's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it as a manager making a decision that hurts somebody that you're friends with, you know, whether that's firing them, putting them on probation for their behavior, choosing somebody else's work over their own work. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that comes back to our own ability to say, I've done something that's going, I'm doing something, I've done something that's hurting somebody else. But that's just the reality of the situation. I wish that I could live in a world where I could never have to make a decision that hurts somebody else, but I don't live in that kind of a world. So the best thing I can do is be the best friend that I can be to them. I can listen to them. I can be open and honest with them. And it, maybe it will cost me my friendship with them, right? And then you have to decide, what are you going to do? Are you going to be dishonest with your company? Or are you going to be honest with your friend and say, I had to choose their work over yours. If you decide that you don't want to be my friend because of that, then I understand because that's a really sucky situation to be in, but it will, you know, it'll disappoint me and it'll hurt me, right? There's this idea that you can't be friends with your employees is patently false only because as humans, we have a terribly difficult time having friendships to which we're not codependent where if your friend is in pain, you have to fix that. You have to somehow get out of it. And so then that's what favoritism or favoritism comes in. But it is certainly possible to be completely objective, have two employees, one that you really dislike and one that you really like and still choose objectively between their work. It, it, but it is difficult. So yeah, the easy road uh, is don't be friends with them. Think they're all jerks, then you can pick whoever's got the best work. And then if you hurt anybody, it doesn't bother you so much. But that's a really bad situation to be in and it's not healthy for you either, right? Uh, it's also got good for your team. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to add, like, it seems like it's also not good. Like, if you constantly tell someone what they want to hear, eventually, if the person on the other side, like, realizes that, they're not going to trust you. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many situations where true, we have to be able to be honest with somebody, and we have to be willing to hurt them, because life is just, the more, if we are imperfect, we interact with other people, we are going to hurt other people. That's just the way life is. If you go close yourself off in a cave, that'll be the last time that you hurt somebody else, right? But if you interact with somebody, you're going to hurt them. You have to be willing to accept the fact that you are going to hurt other people. Maybe yeah. a simple example would be your spouse says, oh, I'm really having a bad day. Will you come home and hang out with me, right? Come home and be there for me. Right? Or maybe you have to work late and they're like, I really need you to come home tonight and be with me because I'm having a, I had a really bad day. You may have to say, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't. It's more important to us, to me, to us, that I stay here at work than that I come home and support you emotionally now. Right? I know that's going to hurt you, but I'm not doing it to hurt you. Right? I understand that it will and that I, I wish I didn't have to, but I do. Right? Those types of situations, they exist and we just have to be honest with them. Yeah, I think uh, the toughest thing I, I have, uh, as far as that goes, is that uh, I, and this goes back to maybe something we mentioned in the very beginning, that as much as I try, when I consciously think about it, to empathize with my employees and uh, coworkers and everything, uh, because my natural natural habits, like I just get into focused into work and, and uh, into whatever I'm doing, 
uh, the zone and that type of thing, uh, that sometimes it's hard to transition back and forth. That like, you know, I'm, I'm so focused working on something and then like you start talking to somebody else, but you're already, you're, your mind is still working through that problem and it's hard for you to listen, to empathize and everything like that. Um, so sometimes, uh, I mean, you can't get around that, but one thing I found at least with uh, when I, the transition from home to work is that I try to do something during that switch to like try to um, make the mental shift from this kind of problem-solving mindset to the more kind of open mindset. Although, I mean, you try to do that every time, but uh, sometimes it's hard. So like just doing something non-work related, you know, whatever, whatever it is to kind of get you in that shift. So everybody's probably different in that perspective, but um, I don't know if you have any ideas on how to either uh, avoid um, getting, you know, I guess still keep an open ear even when you're in that sort of zone. Right. Yeah. So it's so key to learn self-awareness about where you're at emotionally in situations like that, right? So there might be days when you could literally walk out the office door, walk into the door at home, and be completely ready to uh, engage completely with them. And there might be days when you've been so engaged on some problem that you found really interesting, or you were so affected by something terrible that happened at work, right? Your boss yelled at you, whatever. Do you, it, if you were to walk out of the door at work and walk into your door at home, you'd be completely non, not present, right? Zom zombie mode. Yeah, zombie mode. So getting self-aware and understand, wow, I'm in a really bad place. So if you have a 15-minute drive home, right? And most of the time that's sufficient. But on the day that your boss yells at you for something, you know, you feel like it's completely wrong. And whether, well, whether you feel like it's not, if your boss yells at you, you're probably going to be upset. And 15 minutes isn't enough time what do you do? Should you just should you go for a longer drive until you calm down? You might never calm down, right? You might be angry all night long. In that case, actually what's going to be better in that case is to walk in the door and say, right, be honest and again up front and say, wow, I'm in a really bad place. Maybe you send a text in advance. Or when if your boss yells at you and then a coworker who's a friend comes over and is like, man, I'm having this real problem with this project. And in any case, to be able to be honest and say, I'm in a really, I'm in a really tough spot right now. I can't. I, I'm sorry. I really wish that I could listen to you. I just can't, right? I've got some stuff that I'm dealing with. I, I just can't be there for you right now. And that's a completely valid thing to say. It's absolutely valid to say I can't be there for you right now. So, so Joe, when are you gonna write a book about uh, this? <laughs> there are so many books written about this. I don't. Uh, I doubt I'd have like, all of this is based on reading other people's work and doing other people's work. Right. But then that's always, like, that's what books and art is, right? It's really based on everyone else's, right? Yeah, no, totally true, totally true. No plans right now to, to do a book. I guess if I did anything, it would be a Pluralsight course. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, might as well, you know. If there's always books, then there's no course, so you might as well, you know. That's right, that's right. Better meeting, yeah. No, but that, that actually probably brings us to a good point, is that is where are good sources to go to get a little bit more of this information. So there's two things that I think are really great. There's a speaker called Brene, named Brene Brown, B-R-E-N-E -E Brown, and I'm sure we'll have these in the, you guys have show notes, right? Um, she gives a TED Talk. Sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, we do, and we'll make sure we put any links in there. Right. So she gives a really great TED Talk that's like 20 minutes long. She has this little tiny video short that I'll get a link to. 
that just by itself is like the best. It's like a two or three minute succinct little thing about empathy that everybody should absolutely watch. It's like the best two minutes you can spend learning about empathy. And then she's got a bunch of books. I really like her on audiobook. I, I believe she narrates them herself, so I have them on Audible. But great stuff to listen to. And then there's also a book called um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And this is actually, I first heard about this from one of the guys on the uh, Angular team, actually, because uh, Brad Green, the uh, team leader uh, for the Angular team, he uses this book, and he read through this, and he uses it in his management. And even though it's really a parenting book, the same principles apply to, for the most part, there's some that are specifically about parenting, but the vast majority of the book applies to any type of communication with somebody else. And so those are the really good resources to go to to learn more about effective communication and empathy and um, dealing with difficult situations with other people, whether that's family, work, whatever the situation, you know, a random person you meet on the street, whatever the situation is. Yeah, I mean, the Angular core team is kind of like little kids anyway, so. <laughs> uh, well, Joe, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this has been really, really awesome. Um, we're going we're gonna to near the end of our time, so we're going to start to wrap up with picks. Um, but before we do that, just a quick uh, note that um, next week we have Ben Lesh on the show for RxJS 5.0. Awesome. And then the week after, uh, we're doing a TypeScript deep dive with Alex Eagle and Blake Embry. Um, so for picks, uh, let's go to Amy first. Okay, so I have one pick today from Angular class. It's a uh, blog post on, uh, it's like an intro to transpilers. So it's a quick little post, and I thought it was pretty good. So that is my pick. I'll have a link in the notes. Cool. Uh, Patrick? So my pick is uh, RxJS 5.0, which is going to be next week's talk, and TalkOrJS. Uh, you might see more of that in the, news, uh, in the near future. And um, Joe Eames' uh, Pluralsight uh, pending talk on empathy. <laughs> NG-empathy. Yeah, NG-empathy. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, for my picks, um, I actually just have one. Um, Gerard Sands, a um, fellow uh, GDE, just wrote an article on Redux with Angular 2. It, it sort of it plays off of some of the work that a couple other people have done um, using Redux with Angular 2. Uh, but he writes a really good article, goes through in detail the explanation of each of the pieces. So I highly recommend that, and I'll, I'll include the link in the show notes. Uh, Joe, how about you? All right, so uh, my main pick is going to be uh, the product Little Bits, which is these little magnetic snap-together circuitry things. I, I've picked up a couple of uh, sets over at the local Barnes & Noble. You can buy them online. Super fun. I've got an 11-year-old son who's really interested in this and a 13-year-old daughter that hasn't quite yet gotten interested in it, but we'll see. But I've had a ton of fun. Uh, we built a remote control car with them. Uh, we've built... Uh, a few things. It, you kind of have to get into the, like, spend around 200 bucks before you get enough parts you could really start building some cool stuff. But it's really fun. I bought the Arduino kit and then their, like, basic $200 kit as well. The Arduino kit was, like, 80 bucks. And it's just super fun to screw around with. Does it, does it run JavaScript? The 
I think there's a way to get the Arduino one to do it, but the, by default it was something else. It was Python, I think. Yeah. Um, but so uh, I haven't. I had some problems with my Arduino board. It stopped uh, accepting new commands from my Mac laptop, and I didn't. I haven't figured it out since then. So, but I've there's actually there's there's actually this um, circuit board called uh, Tesla Two that runs the nodes V8. So right. you could run anything Node, could run in right. a small device, and then we could pretty much run JavaScript. And, you know, JavaScript will run the, the whole household with that. So Right. Yeah, that, that, their Tesla stuff's really fun. What I like about the uh, little bits is they have a lot more modules from what I've seen than yeah. Tesla does. So there's yeah. a lot of more pieces. Like, he, he's already he's got one that'll buzz. And so we, we're missing one more power supply. But the minute we get that, he can have this remote control car with a horn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We even like hooked up the light detector so that when it's dark, the car dries, and when it's light, the car stops. And so yeah. you know, in the room, you turn the light on, turn it off, and the car moves and doesn't just for fun, <laughs> right? That's so awesome. That was, that was really cool. And then my last pick is sort of a pick, it's sort of an announcement, but ng-conf. The uh, call for papers is uh, opening imminently, so within probably 48 hours, the call for paper presenters should be open, and uh, it'll go until. Uh, it'll go for like a month. We'll have the official release date posted up on the website. But uh, submit some talks for sure. And of course, tickets are sold out. But if you really want to go, uh, there's going to be some Easter egg tickets that are going to be posted. But of course, the best way to go is just to be a speaker because speakers get to go for free. Uh, and if none of those two things work, there's there's a few Easter eggs that are out there on the internet you can find. But if none of those things work, then uh, companies that sponsor get we still have tickets uh, for the for the sponsor company, so get your company to sponsor ng-conf. But the biggest course, the big really exciting thing about ng-conf is that Angular Air is going to be doing a show from ng-conf. So. Yes, that's right, <laughs> which we are very excited uh, for that. And let me just emphasize for anyone who hasn't been to ng-conf, uh, I've gone the past two years, and it's by far the best conference I've been, been to both, both years. It's just so much fun. Joe and the rest of the team do such a good job organizing it, um, and just the, the hosting of it, the hotel, everything is just great. So I would highly uh, recommend, If it, hopefully you already have your ticket. If not, you find one of the ones that, uh, Easter egg stuff that Joe, Joe mentioned, which uh, sounds like it'll be fun. So thanks yeah. a lot, Joe. Yeah. Oh, what were you say, Patrick? I was going to say, I met you at NGConf. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for joining us today, and we will see you next week with Ben Lesh on RxJS 5.0. See you later, guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah.